2: Welcome to another 1871 podcast bonus episode, and I'm delighted to say that we have Brighton & Hove Albion CEO Paul Barber with us. So hello, Paul, and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much. Good evening. Hi, Paul.
2: Um, and in case you're wondering, the listeners, the, the reason that we've decided to invite Paul on the show is that Brighton are obviously where Reading can only dream of being at the moment. <laughs> But of course, it's taken a lot of hard work behind the scenes to get them there. So we'll be asking Paul about the key to running a successful football club and his time at Brighton and, and what he's done there. But, but first, let's have a look ahead to tomorrow's game at Sheffield United. Um, and, and Johnny, only four games left now for Reading after tomorrow. And, you know, we're eight points clear of Barnsley, who are also away tomorrow at Swansea. Um, now, it doesn't look like we'll see John Swift tomorrow. He's He's got a calf strain. Scott Dan's out for the season. And as things <clears> stand, Tom Deli-Bashiro is, uh, is also a doubt. Plus, of course, Andy Rinomota is sideline with an injury. Um, but we've had some good news that uh, Yaku Amite could be in tension for at least one of this weekend's games. And Alan Halilovic is also getting close to a return as well. So, um, Paul Ince might want to make one or two changes anyway after Saturday's defeat against Cardiff. But let's start with the defence. Do you think he should or he will stick with the same back four as Saturday? So, Yeardom, Morrison, Holmes, and McIntyre.
0: No, I think he's got to bring back Baba Roman, proper left back. No, no offence to Tom because he's a good player. but He's been playing out position, um, and you know we need we need. He's there. He's a good player. He's been on the bench. He should be fit to play. Um, you know, that's that's. We need players in the proper positions. Call me old fashioned. Left back's the left back. You know, Tom Tom's done well filling in, but you know, that's we need to look ahead. Uh,
2: and obviously, with with Swift looking like he'll he'll be out tomorrow. Uh, what about the if you like the deep midfield roles? Do you think he'll go with Drinkwater and Lauren again, or could there be a reshuffle? Well, in my,
0: I, I think personally I'd put Tom Mack in alongside Drinkwater and then push Josh Laurent forward playing, playing Swifty's role or, or, you know, and then leaving Tom Ince out wide and then Junior Pollett on the left. That would be my, my thinking, but I'm not a football manager.
2: <laughs> so um, if John Swift, as it looks like it, isn't going to play, um, there, there was a thought that he might be on the, on the bench, but it certainly doesn't look like he'll start. Um so regardless of, of how he reshuffles it, um who else do you think might might come in? Do you think um do, do you think it would just be that that reshuffle like you said with Babur Rahman or do you think Oviajaria or Femi Aziz could, could come in possibly?
0: Possibly. I I you know, like I said there was Violet coming in on the left, I, I think he's more consistent. Um and you know, maybe Tomitz might play central. Yeah. Uh, who knows um, he's going to play because his dad's the manager so <laughs> you know it's it's so hard to pick and if Emia Seas hasn't really had a run in the team um, there's there's so many different options but that if if, if I
2: was picking a team that's what I'd be thinking you know so who who takes the the John Swift role then in in your view Josh
0: Laurent I actually would do that because he's he's yeah. mentioned to him about playing you know playing attacking and that's let him, let him let him have his reign let him go for it you know we, yeah it's a kind of a apology, I think my little one in the background's there just going to bed so <laughs> um, you know it's to me it's a, it's a freebie. I think no one's expecting us to get a result against them tomorrow, so let's go for it, play something different go for go for a game, go for a win. I don't think sitting back and hoping we're going to get a draw is going to work, so you know that's yeah, my, my view on it
2: and it you know although it was a defeat um, prior to that the, the previous four games that you know it, been promising and Laurent's uh, scored hasn't he? he's, he's been on the been on the score sheet and so the other players I guess in contention if, if Deli Bashiro's past fit he could be in tension uh, in contention um and the other possibilities are Brandon Barker like you say Baba Raman and uh, Halilovic so um let, let's see and you know look look uh, look forward to to that one tomorrow and hopefully Reading get a good result up there um in Yorkshire so now let's uh, let's chat to Paul and Paul thanks ever so much for joining us really really appreciate you you being a guest um no problem Mark. and you're coming up to your 10-year anniversary as Brighton and Hove Albion CEO I think it's in June isn't it
1: that's right yeah it's gone very quickly um and obviously we've, a lot's happened in that time for yeah. us
2: yeah and as I mentioned earlier, we're we're really keen to hear from you about what you feel is the key to running a successful club. So, let's start by putting some context on this. Um, Brighton were in what is now League Two, I believe, for five seasons and five seasons until 2001. And when Reading went up to the Premier League as Championship winners in 2006, Brighton actually got relegated into League One at the end of that season. Um, but then it's been, you know, it's been good progress since then. I think you had five seasons in League One, then six seasons in the Championship. And, and you've now, of course, since established yourself uh, yourselves in the Premier League. Um, and this is now your fifth season in the Premier League. So Brighton are now where, where Reading are, you know, where Reading were and where they hope to get back to one day, although as things stand, it's, I think it's fair to say that the Reading fans are not feeling too hopeful that that will be happening anytime soon. But if you go back 10 years to when you first joined Brighton, what would you say were some of the the first things that, that you put in place that were designed to help the club progress?
1: I think the first thing to say, Mark, is that that a lot of good people before me had put the club in a position where we, we could progress. And, um, you know, the fans made a a, a huge effort um, to save the club. Um, We were then fortunate to to come across Dick Knight um, as an owner at a time when the club really needed an owner with a steady hand and a chief executive in Martin Perry, who, you know, had the tenacity and the skill to 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 work to get planning permission for the new stadium, and really the new stadium and the move to the Amex was the was the key to everything. And once that stadium was built, um, the the owner that that bought the club or effectively took over the club from Dick Knight, Tony Bloom, really wanted to bring in the chief executive with experience of working in football at different levels. And and you know, I was lucky enough to to, to get the job and fit that particular bill. But the first thing I did really was to. Work with the owner to develop a vision for the club, which was a very clear vision that we wanted to be a Premier League club. And and a lot of clubs will say that and a lot of clubs have achieved that, including Reading. Um, But we wanted it to be a sustainable plan. We wanted to have a a vision that we felt was not only aspirational for all of the staff, but financially was sustainable once we got there. Um, and, And that meant putting in place quite a few planks to a a strategy you know first of all you need good people and the chief executive is just one person in a football club um, that that, that has a particular role to play but there are many many other departments department heads football side non-football side that need to be the the best that they can be um, uh, in order for that vision to to become a reality and and once you've got the right people you obviously need clear policies you need clear procedures for how the club's going to run and, you know, you also need to build on the infrastructure. We had the stadium, but we didn't have the training ground. So we had the opportunity to stage matches in front of, at that time, twenty twenty two thousand 22,000 people. It's now 32,000. But we still were training at the University of Sussex. So, you know, if you want to be a Premier League club, you, you've got to progress beyond training on university pitches. And there were times when the university had priority over those pitches. And, you know, we're trying to prepare for championship matches at that time. So building the training ground was the next important part of the strategy. And and getting that built um, was critical in two ways. First of all, it enabled the first team to prepare for those matches in the championship, which were, as you you know, from the season you're having now, it's a really tough league. It's a tough league to compete and It's an even tougher league to get out of. And sometimes it's a tough league to stay in. And we had a season during my first five seasons where we, we were struggling. Um, But you also need that training ground to build your academy, because if you're a club of our size, we're never going to compete in the Premier League, in the transfer market with some of the bigger clubs. So we're going to need to produce our own players. And therefore, building the training ground was critical for our future uh, and player development as well. So it was really a combination of a clear vision, good infrastructure, good people, clear policies, um, clear practices, uh, and, and a lot of communication with our fans. Uh, of, of what we are going to try and do, the time it was likely to take us, the fact that it wasn't going to be a straight line, there were going to be bumps in the road, there were going to be difficult times as well as hopefully good times. And then, of course, once you've got all of that in place, you then need to hire the best possible coaches and acquire the best possible players. Uh, and I think the thing that we kept stressing, I kept stressing all the way through the whole of the 10 years I've been at the club is, is you need patience, the owner needs patience, uh, the manager needs patience sometimes, the players need patience, the fans need patience, the staff need patience and belief. And, you know, we we, we always believe that if we stuck to our, our vision, kept to our plan, remain patient, that at some point during the, 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 the near future, we didn't put a time scale on it, but the relatively near future we would get to the Premier League. And that wasn't arrogance. It wasn't, um, it wasn't sort of overconfidence. It was a, a belief that we had instilled right the way through the club. And as I say, we, we had to endure some bumps in the road. You know, we had a, a poor season or a, in 2014-15 where we got off to a really bad start. We were in the bottom three, four, five clubs in the championship. Chris Hutton came in at, at Christmas that year, took over from Sammy Hippier. And Chris immediately said, look, I need patience here. You know, I need to be able to steady this ship, get us and keep us in the championship, and then during the summer that follows, we can we can rebuild and we can then move forward again t- towards the vision. And if you remember, the following season in fifteen sixteen, um, we we missed out on promotion to the Premier League on goal difference. We then had a uh, an unfortunate playoff experience where we we lost that that season's playoffs at the semi final stage, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, but the following season, we were promoted automatically. And, you know, that was the culmination, you know, for me initially of half a decade's work at the club. But not just me, a huge number of people that that really did put their heart and soul into it. So, unfortunately, there's no easy way to run a football club, no easy way to get a football club to the, to the level that you want to play at. And, and there's definitely no easy way once you get to the Premier League of staying there. Um, it does require a huge amount of hard work from a lot of people.
2: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, you're obviously now, it's fair to say, an established Premier League club and, and done absolutely brilliantly in, in that time. And and, and possibly, I, I don't know, maybe you feel like you've exceeded some expectations of, of how well you've done in some of those seasons. Um, and you touched on it there. Reading have, have managed two seasons in the Premier League. Then they went down, went back up into the Premier League 10 years ago, but only managed one season, second time round. Um what do you think some of the, the key factors, and it might be a really difficult question to answer, but what do you think have been some of the, the key elements in Brighton becoming an, an established Premier League club?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're always nervous about that word, Mark, to be honest, because I think when you're a club of our size, you know, you're you're, you're never far away from a difficult run in the Premier League. I mean, we've just come off the back of, of, you know, five, six straight defeats and then a draw at home to Norwich in a game that people expect us to win. And then you go away to Arsenal, perform exceptionally well in a game when people probably expect you to, to come away with nothing and get three points. And, you know, the Premier League can be a bit like that sometimes. It's unforgiving, it's unrelenting, and, and at times it's quite brutal. So established is one of those words that we always kind of, oh, you know, you, you feel slightly uncomfortable when, when you talk about us in that context, because you, I think as soon as you get comfortable in the Premier League, you're in trouble. Frankly, um, you know it's different if you're Manchester United or Tottenham or Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea. You know Manchester City, obviously. You know they, I think, can genuinely call themselves established Premier League clubs that are probably going nowhere other than top six at the at the, at the worst. You know, in our case, we, you know, our, our record points total in the Premier League is forty one. And, you know, that the often quoted number to survive is 40. So, you know, if that's our best, 41, and 40 is really where you need to get to survive every season, we've still got a lot of work to do to, to move away from one of those clubs that's always going to be vulnerable to a more established Premier League club that, that hopefully can look up rather than down. This season, you know, we've been in the top half of the, of the table more than we've been in the bottom half, which has been fantastic. But then you go on that incredibly bad run, which wasn't about performance. Performance levels during most of the last run, you know, with we, we, bad run we had were, were, were decent. We played at Burnley at home and we, we weren't good and, and deservedly got beaten. But in the other games that we lost in that bad run, we actually were probably the better side in at least half the games and certainly deserved something out of the others. So, you know, it can happen. Um, but I think the key to it has, has been the owners' um, constant support. I, I think that's been critical um, not just financially but also morally um, you know he's always there when we're going through a tough time and never loses the faith never loses the faith in in, in most importantly the staff and, and me and the manager um, but also in 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 the players and you know players are in or out in form you know sometimes the best players are out of form and again a club of our size we need all of our best players to be in form. Most of the time if if we 're going to be successful, and we need everybody in the squad to to, to put in the right shift when when they come in and we 've been really um, very, very consistent in the Premier League achieving you know good things with with, with, with our squad the player 's attitude's been fantastic we 've never given up even in the bad runs and you know in Chris Houghton first uh, and foremost, we had an excellent manager who knew his way around the league both at championship and Premier league level, and then latterly with Graham Potter who is a very different coach, an innovative coach, a young coach, a relatively inexperienced coach, obviously at Premier League level. Um, and again, even when we've been on the bad runs, the owner's been there to, to back us. And Tony Bloom's support has been critical all the way through from the day he walked into the club.
2: Uh, i got two more questions and I'm going uh, to let, let Johnny um, jump in. Um, you, uh, you touched on it previously. One of the gripes I think the Reading fans have currently is, what they feel is a lack of communication and if you like a separation between the way the club is being run and and the fans you know the fans feel that they don't really know what's what's going on they don't hear from from the club how important is it to you that the club communicates with with your fans and makes your fans and the community you know a key part not just an important part but a key part of the club?
1: It's absolutely vital. I mean, first of all, as I said earlier, the fans saved this club. Um, so at the very least, they deserve the respect of, of knowing exactly what what's going on. And in in the events that led up to the club having to be saved, I think the communication between the club at that time, the owners at that time and the fans was was poor to non-existent. And, and when it happened, it, it just simply wasn't the sort of things that the fans needed to hear or wanted to hear. They They needed more information about what was going on. So... We've had a policy right from, from day one of, of being open and communicative. And indeed, in my first week in the club, I can remember meeting a fans group and saying, look, unfortunately, you're not always going to like what I have to say, you know, but I'll always be honest with you. And I'll always communicate our, our decisions. And sometimes you won't like our decisions. And sometimes you'll feel that, you know, they're not fan friendly or they're, they're not, you know, the way the club used to be. Because I think when you're playing at a converted athletic stadium in front of five, six thousand people, you, you can you can have a, a football club that is quite different to what it has to look like when you're in the Premier League, where the profile's greater, the scrutiny's greater, the crowds are bigger, uh, the security is different. You know, inevitably, if you want to play at the top level, the club has to evolve and change. But what we've been really careful to do is make sure that we've communicated the changes that we have had to make really carefully all, all the way through. And there have been times when our fans have, have, have hated us or me particularly, because I'm obviously seen as the... As, as the person making those decisions, but we've never shied away from answering the critics and never shied away from answering the criticism. And you know, sometimes it's reasonable, entirely reasonable, and we we've we've made mistakes. We're not, we're not perfect. We we will make mistakes and we've had to correct those. Sometimes the fans think we've made a mistake, but but actually we haven't. <laughs> we've had to do something that we felt was right for the for the club. And there have been other times when it's been in between, you know, where we've taken a decision on a policy that the fans either like or don't like, but we felt it was right at the time. And we've either evolved it or modified it or changed it. But the, the key and the consistent thing all the way through is that we, we, we constantly speak to fans and we hold five, six, seven fans forums a year. We do them face to face. We did them all the way through lockdown, even though we couldn't meet face to face, we did them on zoom. Um, I do a regular program column, you know, again some people won't read it because who wants to hear from the chief executive they'd rather hear from the manager and, and they do hear from him as well but other people read it and comment and, and come back and ask more questions and again that's absolutely fine I see it as a really important part of my job to to be as open as as accessible as I can be with, with with supporters and sometimes that's to my detriment you know a lot of my day can sometimes be taken up um you know with 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 fan queries that perhaps in other clubs you know other people might deal with but take it you know i take it as a really important part of the job and i think it, it it should be for every football club chief executive or chairman that actually you know recognizing the fans have views that they're valid and even when we don't agree there's a there's a reasonable expectations from fans for for an explanation and i think that's perfectly reasonable
2: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom
0: sorry Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh,
2: and Johnny, one. so I've got one last question, then I'm going to let you jump in. So, um, Paul, there have been quite a few familiar names to Reading fans who have done well for for Brighton in the last 10 years or so. I think Nicky Forster was your top scorer for three seasons. Uh, And Glenn Murray has been your top scorer four times. Um, And you mentioned, obviously, it it is about the players on on the pitch, but how much of Brighton's success has been about the the players and the management team? And obviously everyone recognises you've got a great manager. But the, the balance, of course, is to do with the foundation. So... How much of the club's success do you feel is down to the, the foundations that, that you and everyone else has, has put in place off the pitch?
1: Well, I think, you know, I always describe our role as, as people that don't wear tracksuits or training kit every day, as, as, as a team of people whose job it is to try and make it as easy as possible for our teams to win football matches. That, that's basically what we do, whether that's providing the best possible facilities, ensuring that we sell out all our tickets, getting in great sponsors like American Express and Nike, who help fund the the acquisition of players and the contracts of those players, Um, right the way through to preparation of games, picking the right hotels, getting the logistics right. Our job is to make it as easy as possible for our teams to win matches, whether that's the men's or women's first teams, whether that's our academy team, their under 23s, under 21s. And so ultimately, the players have to perform. But, if we can actually give them the best possible chance of performing then we've done we've done our job, and we're then part of a a unit that that have to come together you know thirty eight times a season in the Premier League to deliver results and The fans have got a part to play as well you know we we we've had brilliant traveling support this season, our fans have been magnificent on the road we've actually had the highest average number of fans. Um, taken to our away games than at any time in our our Premier League uh, existence. And we've sold out the Amex pretty much every game uh, this season again. And that's, you know, we've had great support there, despite the fact our home form hasn't been what we would hope it would be. And and we've not picked up as many points at home. So at the end of the day, the players have to perform and the coaches have to prepare them to, to, to perform and pick the best possible side for the opposition but it's a team effort. It's a team effort on and off the field. And you know, when we lose, we have to take responsibility that we've all uh, had a part in that loss. And when we win, you know, I'd like to think that all of the staff have, have, have played a part in that win as well. So you know, that's the way we've built the club. We remunerate our staff to that effect as well. So when we uh, when we get promoted, all of our staff shared in a, in a bonus that season. When we stayed in the Premier League we made sure all of our staff shared in in the retention as well so you know we've been really lucky all the way along that, that our staff have bought into that concept and the players are delighted that that they share in some of that success as well
2: and johnny what are what are your thoughts for for paul maybe you know comparison with that they sound like a a lot of similar things you know over the last sort of 10 15 20 years but you know we're we're on a different kind of scale to Brighton now, but it wasn't always that way. So what what do you want to ask Paul about? Basically,
0: I listening to you, Paul. It's like how a football club should be run. And and that's how our club isn't run. And I know it sounds very, very simple, very straightforward, but the communication piece that we don't have, that you have with your fans. Yeah, like you say, you're not going to please everyone and people are going to get annoyed, but at least you you talk to them. We don't have that. But I, I think from... From a Reading Pan's point of view as well, you've been in the the, the football league now, the Premier League. What's your view on the whole? Well, one, the two, two parts of the question: the the whole financial fair play element in the Championship. You know, you see the struggles we have this season, Derby have had, and also the whole fan-led review piece. I know you've only got a few minutes, but what? Just be really interesting to see what you think.
1: Yeah, they're two big subjects, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a. <laughs> Um, Well, first of all, financial fair play. I mean, it was it was it was initially and ultimately designed, I suppose, to, to to protect owners from themselves, because, you know, when you're chasing success, when you're chasing promotion, when you're trying to get to the highest level that you can. If you're if you're in a position from a personal wealth point of view to to just throw money at your football club, of course, you can do that ad infinitum. It doesn't mean to say you're going to get that success because you might not spend that money wisely. You might overspend on transfers or wages or a combination. And so originally it was designed to, first of all, you know, protect clubs and, 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 and protect owners from themselves. And secondly, it was designed to try and establish some kind of competitive balance within the league to ensure that the very biggest clubs um, couldn't run away with things and and simply become a a procession for promotion every year. Uh, And the smaller clubs had an opportunity to compete at a reasonable level. And the downside of it all, of course, is is that, you know, some owners... um, you know, can and do want to invest in their football clubs over and above what the limits are and get frustrated that they can't do that. And, and then the thing starts to wobble a little bit because rule changes get brought in and there are amendments and suddenly, you know, what seemed like a good idea suddenly becomes, a, a you know, an idea that not everyone loves anymore. So financial fair play in principle is a good thing because the most important thing for any community across the country is that the football club that represents it is there, and it's sustainable and that everyone can continue to enjoy it for generations. And, you know, clubs do so much good work in the community way, way and above just, you know, playing matches uh, every week. We all know that. Um, and, and therefore, when a club is lost, the impact on the community is massive. So the, the idea behind FFP, uh, whether it's a championship or EFL level or Premier League level or UEFA level is the right thing. I'm not sure yet that the balances are are quite right. And of course, when you get into, into the Premier League, you know, there is this massive cliff edge between, you know, what we can generate in terms of revenue in the Premier League. And if you get relegated, the impact on the club and no matter how hard you try with player contracts and put in the right clauses to protect you, there is still this horrible cliff edge that that, that literally clubs that, that fall out of the Premier League into the Championship have to manage. And it's been tough for, for Reading, it's been tough for Derby, it's been tough for Middlesbrough, it's been tough for Sheffield United. It, in all of the clubs that have been up and then down again, we haven't at the moment had to manage that. And, and I, I have to say, I hope I never have to in my time, because I think it's a, it's a really, really difficult balance to, to pull off. Um, and, and still, we haven't got it right. And you know, there are talks going on you know, within the Premier League and, and the EFL at the moment to try and find a way to, to prevent this cliff edge becoming so uh, dramatically large. It is already large enough that clubs are put in jeopardy because of it. And of course, the problem you've got is when you get into the Premier League, if you don't invest in, in, in yeah. better players and a better squad, you get relegated if you do invest in better players and a better squad and get it wrong and get relegated, then the cost of that and the impact of that is enormous. So it's really difficult. You know, you can't get promoted and not invest because if you do, then you can potentially become a yo-yo club and fans don't always appreciate that and and understandably so. Um, But at the same time, putting owners and their own family businesses or wealth or whatever it may be at risk as well in order to compete is something that has to be regulated in some way because otherwise there is there are no controls and it can then become a, a, an even worse scenario. Yeah.
0: Johnny? Well, no, uh, as I, yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, as a CEO, how horrible must it be to have to sack a manager? Because you've had some good managers at Brighton, like you've had Chris there and Graham now. When do you... Where do you get to a point and go, like, you know, Reading had a revolving door of managers the last few years. You know, it, it seems very random that we, you know, we're getting people in from here, there and everywhere. Where do you get to a point and go, okay, this is not working anymore. We have to make a change. How hard is that decision?
1: It's really difficult. Um, it's difficult in any club, and you know I've been lucky enough to work, you know, at Spurs and and, and in Vancouver, uh, with, in MLS as well, and 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 also with the FA with, with England, where we've made managerial changes. So first of all, it's the toughest decision you ever have to make, whether you're whether it's a manager or another member of staff. If you're making a decision on someone's career and, and potentially finishing it for that period, it, it, it's not easy at all, and and certainly no, none of us look forward to making that decision. In our club, um, the chairman is is very open with the fans about. The ultimate decision to hire or or release a manager is always his. You know, I, I can have a view, and I do have a view, and you'll ask me for a view, and I'll 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 give my view. But ultimately, in our club, it's the chairman's decision. He's the owner. He he has to take those big calls ultimately, and he will always see the manager personally. If if we're letting a manager go, he will always see him personally. I'll, I'll usually be there, um, and and I'll deal with the situation afterwards, but. But the, again, our chairman is very, very adamant that that that's something he must do. But you only do it after a really, really careful. In our experience, and, and our and and the way we do things, and I, and I can't speak for every club because every club is different, and every personality who owns the club is different. But we do it with really careful thought. You know, we 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 want to show patience, and we do. We want to show support, and we do. We want to get the best possible outcome, and sometimes you get that. Uh, with the patience and with the support, and sometimes you don 't and there 's always a critical moment sometimes it 's results, and, and very often in football clubs it is because of results business sometimes and in the case of when we changed uh, from from Chris to Graham, it was a style of play. The chairman wanted the club 's football style to evolve we wanted yeah. to reflect the fact that you know we 'd made it to the Premier League and we were surviving in the Premier League, but we weren 't necessarily performing at the to the potential that we thought we, 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 we might have. And that can be a really, really tricky balancing act because if you get above your station, and in our case, you forget that for all but nine seasons out of 121 years of history have been played outside of the top flight. And all of a sudden you're saying, we're not satisfied with just being in the top flight. We want to progress and we want to become you know, a top 10 club. You've got to be really careful when you communicate that message that you don't come across as really arrogant and really self-entitled um, you've got to remain humble and I hope and, and, and really believe that we are. We, we, we know where we've come from. We know how easily it is to go back to where we've come from. And we don't in any way disrespect where we've come from because we had some amazing years in the Championship in League One and even beyond that. But every professional sports team I've ever been involved in, in whatever capacity, wants to play at the highest level they can. The players want that, staff want that, fans want that. Um, so you have to keep striving because if you don't, as I said earlier, if you get satisfied with being where you are and you start to feel comfortable or established to use that word, then I think you're, you're potentially heading for a fall. So you have to keep looking forward and you have to keep trying to progress. And in, 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 changing from Chris to Graham, that was our version of trying to progress. That was us saying, okay, we've got to this level We've stayed at this level, but now we want to see if we can do even more. And we felt with Graham um, that he was a tactically innovative coach, a flexible coach, someone who saw players in perhaps different positions to what people might have otherwise previously seen them. And we've seen over the last three seasons with Graham that he can change a formation two, three, four times in a game to try and affect the result. And he'll make, Quite dramatic substitutions early or middle of the game or later on in the game, again, to try and win a game that most people would say we should be happy with a draw or claw something back. And the great example this season 2 0 down at Anfield, Liverpool in their pomp. And Graham decides to double down and go for it. And suddenly we get a goal back. The momentum of the game shifted. The crowd at Anfield went quiet. We got a second goal. And then we got a third goal, which was disallowed by VAR. And I can tell you at that at that game, Liverpool wanted the, the final whistle more than we did. And yeah. that's a great example of progression. We didn't win the game and Liverpool have beaten us since, although we, we've also beaten them since, uh, before that at Anfield. But it was a great example of where, you know, we saw real progression. There was three seasons ago, we would never have gone for it at Anfield. You know, we would, you know, yeah. two nil down, we might have shut up shop, hoping it might not be three, four, five, because that's what Liverpool can do to any team. But, you know, we saw us come back and we got the point. It was a great day for me in my 10 years at Brighton. It was one of the best days of, of my career here, you know, because we really took the game to one of the world's best teams in their backyard and got a result. Um, and that was, you know, and, and and Graham was up against Jurgen Klopp, you know, probably one of the yeah. best managers, if not the best manager or best coach in, in the world alongside Pep at the moment. So, you know, it, it, that shows progress. It's not us... Being established, it's not us losing sight of where we've come from. It's not us getting too big for our boots, but it is, it is progress. And, and we're, we're very proud of that progress.
2: Paul, oh, we've, we've got a couple of minutes left. I do have one final question talking about managers. Um, now, we, we mentioned about the communication and it might just be a communication thing. But the Reading fans, the, the general feeling is that there doesn't seem to be a strategy in place for selecting a new manager. What you know, how important is that to have a strategy and, and to actually think carefully about the type of manager you, you want? And you talked about it with, with Graham Potter. Um, do you have a strategy for, for selecting managers? Do you have a strategy for selecting players? You know, how how does that work?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, we we put as much thought into future managers and coaches as we do future players. So, at any one time, we 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 have a, a list of, of, of managers or coaches that we would go to if, you know, we lost Graham for any reason. And, and you know, the, the one downside of being a relatively small club in the Premier League with a, a relatively um, young and, and, and engaging and in, constantly improving manager is that other clubs start looking at your constantly improving, engaging and, and um, young manager. And so you have to have a backup plan if you're asked, because at some point you know, Graham is going to want to progress his career beyond us. Even if we were to achieve our vision of, of becoming a top 10 Premier League club in, in, in the next three, four, five years, whenever that may be, Graham may get a better offer or a bigger offer before them. So we've got to be prepared for that. So we, we're constantly looking at, at, at young, talented coaches, not just in this country, but overseas. And we're constantly looking at young players and players that are in our um, segment of the market Um, in in the recruitment side and and putting a lot of effort into that it's not just about you know the performance of a manager or or a coach or a player it's about their character it's about the way they conduct their lives it's about um, understanding what uh, what their career has uh, what's been achieved in their career to date and what their aspirations are and then that's even before you start looking at the financials, you know, can you afford them? Can you attract them? Can you afford to pay them? What are they looking to to achieve? Would they come to us? You know, are they waiting for an even bigger club to come along? And it's the same with managers, you know, not every manager would want to come to us um, and not every, not every player would want to come to us. So we also have to be realistic about who, who we can attract, when we can attract them. And in Graham Potter, you know, Graham had done a fantastic job in Sweden uh, I'd started to do a really good job at Swansea and we'd been tracking him at that point for about four seasons. So we were very aware of the progress that he was made. He was making, uh, we were aware of his character. We knew the sort of people that he, he had in his group, his, his assistants and the people that we've since hired. Um, and we really liked everything about the way he was humble, communicative, very down to earth. What you see is what you get. No ego, low ego, no ego, Um, and a particular uh, way of playing football that we really liked and particularly the flexibility and the willingness and the desire to use young players all of these things play into that strategy I talked about where the academy is important and bringing through our own young players so we can compete Um, being a little bit smarter than perhaps some of the bigger clubs in the Premier League not smarter as in you know, academically smart, but just being a little bit more nimble sometimes, being prepared to take a few more risks, or going to markets that they might not want to sort of look for players in, and then using our using our own facilities to try and develop those players. So all of those things were very much about what Graham was about, and and it, and it was a really good meeting of the minds. And so far, it's it's been really good for us.
2: So certainly has. Uh, well, Paul, thanks ever so much for for joining us. Been fantastic to have you on really really appreciate it and uh, we have another episode tomorrow with ibrahim Sonko as our special guest so join us anytime from 6:30 pm tomorrow if you can and all that leads me to say is come on you ours and and brighton thank you <laughs> right. thanks a lot Paul. sports
0: social podcast network